welcome to She Thinks, a podcast where you're allowed to think for yourself. I'm your host, Beverly Hallberg, and on today's episode, I'm thrilled that we have Katie Pavlich joining us to talk about the ever-important and very timely issue of the Second Amendment. Katie Pavlich, of course, is a Fox News contributor, which which is where I'm sure you've seen her before. She is also the news editor for townhall.com, an award-winning author, and someone who speaks very passionately about shooting and hunting, which is why she's the perfect guest for us to talk about this issue today. Katie, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Beverly. It's great to be here. Well, Katie, before we jump into just some of the gun control positions that 2020 candidates are making and also some of the misinformation about guns that is often perpetuated in the media, I'm just curious about your background in this area. Um, When it comes to gun ownership and shooting and hunting, is this something that you were raised with? Is this something that started with your family? Yeah. So, you know, firearms ownership, my story is very similar to a lot of Americans. It was just really a lifestyle uh, of my family's growing up, and it's been a lifestyle of my family's for generations. Um, my dad's been a hunter safety instructor for 30 years, and he really just introduced me to firearms at a very young age. And just like parents teach their kids not to drink the bleach under the sink, and they are responsible with things like that, my parents were responsible with guns, and they taught us how to respect them and how to use them and not to touch them if there was an adult around. And they really just viewed it similar to that. Or another example is, you know, um, if there's a pool in the backyard, you know, you teach your kids the dangers of the pool, but that doesn't mean you have to be afraid of the pool or you can't use it. You just have to be careful. And that was kind of their approach to firearms. My dad bought me my first rifle when I was 10 years old for my birthday and took me hunting and That was just one of the best memories, really, of my entire life still, is going hunting with my dad for the first time. And I remember he was so excited because he he put me in for elk and deer in the same weekend, but they were five hours apart in Arizona. So (laughs) we did two hunts in two very different places in the same weekend, and were successful on both. And it was just amazing. So... You know, my lifestyle just really was that growing up. My, my, my mom's head of the family, my grandfather was a big supporter of the NRA um, all of his life, you know, and he always taught her that, you know, she can do anything that the boys can do. And she taught, learned how to shoot just like her brothers did. Um, so it really is just something that I grew up with. But my firearms ownership kind of evolved um, as I got older. So when I went to college, I was living... Um, in Tucson, and the age of of concealed carry in Arizona is 21. And as soon as I turned 21, I got my concealed carry permit because it was a matter of self-defense and living in a home. And a lot of people in the neighborhood had had their houses broken into. And it just felt like a good idea to get something just in case someone happened to break into my house. Um, So it it evolved from there. And then when I actually moved to Washington, D.C., I got into more like hobby competition shooting and met a bunch of people in the industry and got to do a little bit of that. So I really kind of come full circle on that. And one of my favorite things is to teach new people how to shoot as well, you know, especially women who have never gone to the range and introducing them, making them feel comfortable. So that's that's the short version of of my story and my background with guys. (laughs) And I know probably a lot of people are similar, especially those who grew up out west. My dad had shotguns, so it was just normal to have guns in the house. I grew Mm -hmm. up in California. Um, He didn't take me hunting, although he hunted himself. But it was just a normal thing 
to be around guns. Um, and so I'm yeah. curious, do you think that there is there just a difference between different areas where people grow up that if you grow up with guns, you usually typically know how to use them and you feel comfortable with them. But if you weren't around guns, that there is just this intrinsic fear about them as a whole. Or do you think just as a society, yeah. we're shooting a lot less? So I think it's all of those things. I think it's definitely is about your upbringing because like you said it, it just was a part of our lives and it was around and it was something that was to be respected and taken seriously um but it wasn't something to be feared and it's a tool right right um and a tool can be used for good or bad and the, you know when i moved to the east coast i met a lot of people from new york for example and they've actually changed their perspective on guns after moving from brooklyn for you know brooklyn to virginia because when growing up in Brooklyn, the only people who have guns are bad guys and gang members and criminals. Right. So their only perspective of guns are bad people with guns. They don't have this perspective that it's a lifestyle or a, you know, a, a hobby or even used necessarily for self-defense because they're not allowed to. Right. They're the only people who have guns where they live are the bad guys. I met a guy um, when I was doing some training at Gunsight Academy who was a police officer in London. And he goes there every couple of years to train because he doesn't get to carry a gun in London. And he just goes to gun sites so he can do that and just practice. And it got me thinking like, okay, so people in the UK are very anti-gun, but a lot of them just grow up knowing that the only people with guns are bad people. They're not in an environment where they're around gun owners, gun ownership, the different aspects of the industry, which is they're so diverse in terms of what it means. Um, and I do think that we're shooting a little bit less, you know, as people get more urban, you know, it's hard for me to get to the range and I love right. going to the range. Right. Um, was, the more you're in an urban environment, the more gun control there typically is. It's not so much of a lifestyle to be, um, open about carrying necessarily. Uh, I think that's changing in some urban environments, but it just gets more difficult. And I think the left has done a really good job of seizing on, crisis moments to portray gun ownership as the problem um, rather than the solution to a lot of our issues and also as a way to portray it as something that should be, you know, not talked about, put in a corner, and the only people who really want to own those guns are, you know, the crazy people in the middle of the country, but it doesn't belong here, which couldn't be further from the truth. Ivan, I think it's good you brought up the UK and London. I also think there was just a misperception about the United States and how we use guns here. I know you've had people suggest before that we should have gun laws like Australia. Um, they got mm-hmm. supposedly got rid of all their guns, even though there are reports out this week that there was a shooting there. So if they really got rid of all their guns, how did that happen? Right. Um, when people make these comparisons to other countries and the type of policies that the U.S. should have, it's not comparing apples to apples. It's apples to oranges in many ways, isn't it? It's apples to oranges, and it's also not look. It's not looking at it in a very, um, in a very tunnel vision type of way. So when the UK went and banned supposedly um, firearms, they didn't. You know, when they talk about how we should do the same thing, they don't talk about the fact that violent crime has increased significantly since they did that. So sure, now you've banned guns. Well, now they're having a knife attack epidemic in the UK, and they don't know what to do about it. And so people are helpless, and they can't defend themselves, and they're having another problem with violent, evil people because they'll find a tool to carry out what they want to, um, 
because that's what they want to do. You know, violent crime against women is higher in the UK. It's higher. Uh, burglaries are higher. People tend to break into homes more often when people are there so they can get money from people. Um, crime overall is just higher. And so when they talk about just banning firearms, you know, that's the part of it that they leave out. And in Australia, you know, you hear a lot about policy positions of proposing the same, you know, we should just do the same thing. Or why can't we act like New Zealand and just ban, you know, so-called, quote, assault rifles, and I hate that term, right. um, overnight. And the fact is that, A, it's a constitutional right in America. It's, it's you know, that's the most important thing. Um, and, B, it doesn't actually solve the problem. And, C, when they, they talk about, you know, a gun buyback program, that's really language for if you don't turn in your firearms, you will be arrested and thrown in prison, which is exactly what they did with Australia. And so it's a coercion by the, the government to disarm an entire population. And it, they have higher violent crime as a result. Well, of course, the people who are going to turn on their guns are going to be the law-abiding citizens, not the criminals, right. <laughs> um, which you're trying the to protect don't yourself want to go to from. Prison. Yeah. Right. yeah. The ones who, who don't actually want to go to prison. And so. I'm glad you brought yeah. up this issue of assault rifles. So the AR-15 is a gun that gets brought up a lot. Give us your perspective on this. Is this really a gun that should have more restrictions on it versus typical handguns? Because there seems to be a lot of misinformation um, about how this gun is used and whether or not it's an assault-style rifle. So there's no such thing in terms of civilians in America as an assault rifle. Technically, an assault rifle is, is, a, is a machine gun that the military uses overseas. It doesn't you can't just go buy a machine gun in America. You have to have very specific licenses and you have to allow ATF to come and search your, you know, your, your house whenever they want to. And you give up some, some civil liberties in order to have the permit to have um, a, a fully automatic type machine gun. An AR-15 is a semi-automatic rifle. It's a sporting rifle. It functions the same way as a handgun does. Um, the majority of actually mass shootings are carried out with handguns um, and have been since the 1990s. And yes, you know, the, the last week, of course, we had that horrible workplace shooting in Virginia Beach. Right. And the guy used two handguns, and yet the government here is acting is proposing that we ban AR-15. And so, you know, what it comes down to is just control and a gun, all-out gun ban, and that's what they want. And, and a lot of them got more brazen about saying that. It used to be, you know, they would propose certain policies that would lead to that eventually. And now many people are willing to just say it. But in terms of the functionality, the AR-15 is the most popular rifle in America. It's owned by, you know, what we know of 15 million people. And I would say it's probably triple that because we don't register guns. Um, and if you take the percentage of the lawful in use, meaning people who own them, who use them lawfully, compared to the people who own, who use them unlawfully, the numbers are minuscule. minuscule. And you're not, you're not minimizing these horrific situations, of course, but you are bringing some perspective to a situation where people are saying we need this all-out ban, where you're punishing millions of people and taking away part of their Second, Second Amendment rights for something that actually um, doesn't add up when it comes to the numbers. And if you look at the FBI statistics, more people are killed every single year with hammers, hands, fists, and other blunt objects than rifles, oh. including AR-15s. So if you're really interested in solving the problem, um, 
banning AR-15s or what they call assault rifles, which is a made-up term from the 1990s to make things sound scarier for for political reasons, doesn't actually get to the heart of why these things happen. And it's a an easy political and cheap political you know move to make to satisfy people who want gun bans in America. And of course, all you have to do is look at Chicago, which continues to have horrible crime in reference to right. shootings, yet they have such strict gun laws in, in Chicago, the city itself. So whenever well, you... To that point, sorry, I didn't want no, to go ahead. You, but to go that, ahead. that point, I'm so glad you brought it up because the um, police chief was very frustrated and held a press conference. And over the weekend, as you know, in the summertime, Things are always more violent in Chicago than they are in the wintertime because people are out in the streets, blah, blah, blah. And the police were saying they arrested nearly two dozen, here it is, 11 of the 19, 11 of 19 individuals arrested on gun charges over the weekend by Chicago PD are already out on the street. And seven of the individuals were previously convicted felons who had six prior gun offenses in their backgrounds. So the problem in places like Chicago, and I've talked to prosecutors there and in D.C., is that they keep running the same criminals through the system, and they're not holding them accountable and throwing them in in jail for long periods of time on gun charges. So it's not that they don't have the laws to enforce it. It's not that they don't have enough gun control. It's that these leftist judges, these social justice judges and juries, don't want to hold these criminals accountable, and they just get released back onto the streets and do the same thing. Because why wouldn't they change their behavior when it's being endorsed by by the judicial system? And Katie, I'm glad you brought that up because it's an interesting point because people would look at Chicago and say, look, guns are bad. That's why we have these issues. Yet at the same time, what we know is that um, in Chicago, there actually are strict gun laws there. And so it seems that this message that guns are bad is continuing to be um, perpetuated even by the 2020 candidates. You have Kamala Harris, who has said that she wants to come out and use executive privilege, executive order if she is the next president. You have Kristen Gillibrand, who has come out and said that the NRA is the worst organization possible in the country. So do you see that there is a trend and there is this moment and, um, be behind our politicians to really try to take down the Second Amendment. Yeah, I think, you know, it's it's one of those things where it's always a fight. And if you give an inch, they try and take a mile every single time because their interest is not in, no matter what they say, in respecting the, respecting the Second Amendment rights of all Americans or, you know, the big slip up that you hear is, you know, you can go hunting if you want to, but we're going to deal with all the other issues. You know, the vast majority of Americans who own firearms, 100 million plus, aren't using their firearms to carry out mass shootings or to cause crime. And they constantly are using this 40 to 50,000 um, person figure of gun deaths, right, per year, which sounds like a lot. But when you dig into the data, it's more like 11,000 because the rest of them are suicide. Now, suicide is horrible. It's terrible. But you, you cannot justify stripping the Second Amendment rights of millions of Americans because of that issue. And then when you dive down further into the data, into the, the remaining 11, 12,000, the vast majority of it is coming from places like Chicago and Washington, D.C., and from gangs and, and um, violent um, street issues, right? So, again, it's, it's, it's a talking point for them because the left likes government control. They don't like personal responsibility. Advocates of the Second Amendment 
understand that when it comes down to it, you are the one, you are going to be the one who is responsible for your protection and your safety. It doesn't mean the police can't help you in certain situations, but the fact is in the vast majority of these situations and Parkland is a, is a good one. There's things happen too quickly for someone to be able to save you and you have to be responsible. And the left doesn't like personal responsibility because it gives up government control and having a second amendment um, really is a, a pushback on ultimate government control. And they really don't like that. And I'm glad you brought up Parkland. We had a few weeks ago, Andrew Pollock on the podcast, who is the father of one of the girls who was killed at, at the shooting there in Florida. And as he mentioned, and as we know about the situation, the, the person who committed this crime, he was somebody who was known as a problem individual, not mm -hmm. just within the school, but also with law enforcement in general. So it goes back to what you were saying about Chicago, which is a lot of times it's law enforcement not following through or judges letting releasing people people that there are other ways to find out who, if we want to call them the bad guys, really are in all of this. And so I think as you mentioned all the data points and as we learn more about mass shootings and whether or not this was a person who was already known as being a problem, I, I wonder what is the messaging that we need to have because it seems that those who want to ban all guns seem to be winning on the messaging side of things. So what have you found to be some of the best ways to combat some of the, the myths about gun ownership? And what do you think people who support the Second Amendment, um, I know as a, a female, I, I support it. Um, I've been in a home before that was broken into and I was the only one there. And as a mm -hmm. female, sometimes that's your only way of protecting yourself. But how do we win this messaging war? So on the, the broader messaging issue, it's difficult because, um, you know, the left lies a lot about the gun issue. And when it's emotionally charged, if you start doing what I did earlier in the podcast and you start throwing out statistics about, well, it's not yeah. that many, it sounds really callous and cold, right? Right. But when it we're talking about taking away a constitutional protection, we have to talk about it in logical, calm, non-emotional terms. And I think on the messaging, we have to promote people like Andrew Pollack, who have a different point of view. Um, we have to fight back uh, and tell the, the stories on the other side. You know, there's stories every single day about women and men protecting themselves and their children um, with a firearm from serious bodily harm. There are stories every day of, of people stopping mass shootings um, because they were armed. And yet that's not something that is amplified. Um, I find it really dishonest that when, you know, there's a mass shooting in a school, there was, there was a mass shooting at a school in, in Texas a couple months after Parkland, and it didn't cover, get covered as much because when reporters went to start asking students questions about gun control, they actually had the opposite take than a number of the, the students at Parkland. And so, therefore, meaning they were supportive of the Second Amendment, they weren't going to blame, you know, the Second Amendment and gun rights for what happened, and that story just kind of dropped off the map. So I think from a messaging perspective, trying as hard as we can to give equal time or more time to the majority of stories, I mean, guns are used something like two million times a year in self-defense. And those, wow. so you just wouldn't know that. Um, and so, you know, and, and that doesn't even count. The, the situations that go unreported, right? That like just happen and then they're over. Um, so, you know, amplifying those stories and talking about the reasons why things happen the way that they do. What was the, because when you look at all the mass shootings, there's always a breakdown in the majority of them of where something went wrong with the government. 
and talking about how adding more government on will actually make things worse is important. And then the other thing too is like, and I feel like this is so important with media is, you know, people act, you know, especially the mainstream media, you talk about the first amendment, of course, the white house correspondence association and all these journalism organizations are all about the first amendment. Well, I care just as much about the second amendment as I care about the first amendment. And that's something that I think we need to emphasize. You know, I, I'm in media, I make a living through the First Amendment, but I also <laughs> very strongly believe in the Second Amendment, and I don't treat them differently. And so if you put them on the kind of the same playing field and make people understand how serious it is, and it's not something you should just be taken away, if you start talking about taking away the First Amendment, well, why is it that you can just take away parts of the Second Amendment when the First Amendment is so protected, right? And putting it in kind of those terms, I think is helpful in terms of understanding And I have found, I have found personally, I'm sure you, you have found this too, especially as women talking about the right to own guns and talking about it from a safety perspective. Um, Obviously, I think hunting and sporting aspect of guns should be protected um, as it is in the constitution as well. But I find that when I can turn it to that, more of that emotional side of it, that look, I live alone having a gun mm-hmm. sometimes is my only option to safety. Um, I think people have a little bit more compassion for that angle as well. Yeah. Um, so I think as women, we, we have the opportunity to talk about it that way because I also think it shocks people that women are in support of gun ownership. That Which shocks me, honestly, <laughs> because if, if we're all about equality and being independent and being feminist, then why would I want to rely on anybody else for the most important thing, which is my life? And this idea that feminists want to disarm other women and take away their rights to defend themselves or just to exercise their Second Amendment rights, it really is appalling. And I find that when, quote, feminist men who want to limit the Second Amendment rights of all women are on board with that, I think that's actually really creepy. Because the greatest equalizer between a man and a woman, especially in a very difficult situation, a violent situation, is a firearm. And I speak about this from knowing women who have carried firearms and saved their lives with them. And for them to take that away from them, to take it away from any of us, really is an assault on our lives and and our livelihood and our bodies. And so all this talk about you know, equality and being independent. Well, if that's what you truly believe in, then you should be lining up women at the gun range to learn how to shoot a gun because that is the number one equalizer between men and women. And I think to to end the podcast, one of the things I wanted to bring up in all of this is something that you mentioned earlier, which is the importance of going to a shooting range, knowing how to use a gun, the safety aspect. Mm -hmm. I know whenever I've talked to people who um, are gun owners, the responsible part is such an important part. People who own guns and use them practice with them and know how to use them. You even talked about your father and how he trained you. Um, For someone who maybe is interested in getting a gun, let's say a woman is listening to this, she didn't grow up with guns, doesn't know really where to start. What advice do you give as far as where to start and how to get trained? So I would not start by going to the gun store. I would start by going to um, an introduction to pistols class, if that's what you're interested in, or an introduction to shotgun class. A lot of local ranges have those kinds of classes where they're not necessarily taking you to the range to shoot for the first time. They're teaching you the fundamentals of how a gun functions, how it should fit in your hand, 
you know, the safety precautions, number one, and most importantly. And then you can go to that and get kind of like a background and information on it. And then you can go and buy something that's most comfortable for you. That being said, I know a number of stories where women, quote, weren't trained. They have the safety basics down, but they weren't, quote, trained, and they saved them their own lives in their homes after someone broke in. So this right. idea that you have to have, like, a prerequisite for training before you're allowed to own a gun, I don't necessarily believe in that. But I would say if you're going to carry it or you're, you just want to learn how to use it, then you should definitely take some classes that are solely focused on kind of, like, the academic part of how it functions and what it's for. And I'm sure with this topic that you talk about, and you obviously being on Fox News, you talk about a wide variety of topics. Is this the topic that when you talk about guns that you get the most pushback for from people watching who disagree with what you're saying? You know, I don't, I get pushback, but I also get a lot of support. Um, I think it's something that people really feel is very, very personal. You know, taxes are personal because they affect your bottom line. Healthcare is, is very personal because it affects you know, how you can pay for your medical bills or what kind of care you can receive. And I think people who really understand the Second Amendment feel it's just as personal as health care. And right. if you're going to take away that that right from them, then it's going to be a fight. So, you know, a lot of the time, the far left um, attacks that you get are, you know, you don't care about kids, you don't care about gun safety. Well, that's just not true. Um, organizations like the NRA and the NSSF are the ones who have actually been working with Congress to put through real, quote, gun safety legislation. That's a, you know, terminology that they use um, to try and win the debate. They've done nothing. I mean, the NRA sends or it trains thousands of people every year around the country, new shooters on gun safety. Um, they're not offering any of those classes. So the attacks that I get are personal and they're not based in fact. So I think responding calmly and living by example is probably the best way to do it. And I'm glad that you brought up the support that you do get from people because, of course, those who are supporters of the Second Amendment typically don't get the same airtime as those who are against it. So I'm sure it's encouraging that you hear that. And for all of us to know, look, there are a lot of people who are just like they like the First Amendment, care about the Second Amendment as well. And it's important for those of us who do have a platform or who can talk about it with neighbors to talk about why it's important. So thank you for all your work on this. I know this is an issue you're passionate about and you're vocal about it. And those of us who agree with you, we thank you for doing that. So thank you for that. And also for joining us and talking about this. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Okay. Bye. For those listening, if you want to follow Katie, of course, you can find her on Twitter and she's on Fox News on a regular basis. So do check her out. And I just want to thank you all for joining us. And if you enjoyed this episode of She Thinks, do leave us a rating or a review on iTunes. It does help. And we'd love it if you'd share this episode and let your friends know that they can find more She Thinks episodes. So from all of us here at the Independent Women's Forum, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.